in lieu of season one for episode one for the most part this one is very 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 deep i thought before we start trailing along and going through all of the riffs and rafts of of all of these amazing people we have on the podcast i wanted to go back to our roots where i do a step-by-step guide of how to break free from generational cycles of abuse i hope that you're ready for this this is a longer one this is a more in-depth one and i'm so excited to share this journey this personal journey that i went through you can actually watch the full video online on youtube that will be actually linked in this video bio before so this is how i broke free from generational cycles of abuse i hope you enjoy thank you see this is what that voice in your head says when you try to get peace of mind i gotta find peace of mind i oftentimes think about what it means to be free what does freedom look like and how do we achieve that freedom? Oftentimes more than that, I've accepted that in this lifetime, I'm going to constantly ask myself, why me and not them? Hi guys, my name is Janelle Roberts. I am a podcaster, best-selling author of To All the People I Love Before Loving Me, content creator, and I'm just your TikTok big sister. And today I will be sharing with you how I was able to break free from generational cycles of abuse. Before I dive deep into this, I just really wanted to talk about why generational cycles can be just such a tormentalist thing, like why we experience it, why do we have to go through it, and how lonely it can feel knowing that you oftentimes are on your own little island. How we end up protecting ourselves from the abuse and how that cycle abuse leads up into our adult lives. I oftentimes think about my first awakening and when I knew that something was wrong, whether that was at the hands of my stepfather who was very abusive or my mother who had extreme narcissistic tendencies, I had knew early on that because of the way that I had been treated growing up that I didn't want anyone to feel the same way that I did. So in order for me to break free from this generational cycles of abuse, it was time for me to free myself from it. When we talk about generational, I want you to think about what your mom was doing probably before you were born. I also want you to think about how your mother's mother must have been and how your father's father must have been. And if you are someone that didn't grow up with a father, your father probably also didn't grow up with his too. These are the generational cycles that stick to us. These are the generational things that break us. These are the generational things that mold us, but these are the generational things that we can be freed from. I wanna to talk to you about my origin story. I live a life of luxury currently right now. You know, I I travel the world, you know, I've I've been to many countries. I've I've roamed the streets of Italy. I've I've been in a relationship. I graduated as the first person in my family. Um, I live a nice life. I live a super super cool um, apartment. I showcase women in luxury, specifically black girls in luxury because I want people to know that they can do the same. I I have created this massive digital platform where people you know, rally behind what I am posting every single day because they see what I am posting every single day. And people form these opinions of what they see every day. But I don't always showcase what it took to get there. 
the tears I cried, the fact that I was homeless, that I grew up homeless. I spent a lot of years of my life sleeping in cars with my mom and my sisters. Um, there was a lot of moments in life where I didn't know what was going on. It felt so crippling. There was periods in high school where I would join every single sport because I would be the first kid there and then the last kid to leave. My mom would oftentimes forget to pick me up from school or I would, you know, as the oldest daughter, I was forced to kind of have to grow up a little bit faster. I was forced to have to move a little bit faster and make sure that everything was always okay, that the people around me was always okay. I think when you grow up in an environment where you are always in survival mode, there's a numbing factor that comes into play where you are not fully able to address those emotions and those feelings and what's you know, going on underneath. One story in particular that I constantly think about as a kid growing up was um, just trying to get home. And I used to have to ask myself, what is home for me? What does home look like? Do I even have a home? The, ki the kids that I go to school with, I know that they, they're gonna go home after this. I think about one story in particular where I used to tell my little sister to ride a certain bus so she could be closer to the hotel that me and my family were staying in. And I remember being so strategic as a kid. I went to a predominantly white high school, so I saw a lot of kids driving Range Rovers and BMWs and all this stuff, and I alone didn't even have a phone. So I remember just being at school and purposely befriending people and learning their addresses so I could tell my little sister to get off at the bus stop so I could just go and pick her up. So I would hop in the car with these friends and I would be driving around with them. And I remember this lonely, like abatting feeling where I was with my friend, we're gonna call her Amanda at the time, and she was just in the car smoking marijuana. I remember like the, the curling feeling that I have felt knowing that at the expense of my race, and then you include marijuana in this, I could be shot and killed. The girl that I was with at the time was a white woman, so there wasn't really that that need or that, that moment or that urgencies. So I would put myself in situations in order to survive so I could get to where I needed to get to. I then picked up my little sister who was waiting for me. At the time, my little sister was on a walker because we had were just previously in a really bad car accident. When I arrived, I had saw my little sister who was there and she was on a walker, which was very, very, you know, hard for a 12 year old little girl who's probably getting bullied at school. People are probably ostracizing her and deeming her and saying something's wrong with her. I remember picking her up and she just had her little beanie on her head. And I knew our hotel was maybe a mile away. Um, this was our routine. We had did this routine for three or four months. So there was always a change of routine because of the poverty. So I remember my sister and I, um, we, you know, crippled on over to um, our favorite Chinese restaurant, Canton Express, on Plano Parkway. And we used to go there and get $1 rice and $1 egg rolls. And we used to sit there and eat, and that would be our dinner for the night. After that, I just remember walking to our hotel and walking through the lobby and, and you know, you, you, see, you see the man here with his mistress, you see, you know, a lot of things that children shouldn't see and I remember just going up to our hotel lobby trying to shelter and shield myself and my sister from the, the environment we were living in. I remember going up to our hotel and all of our stuff is just outside. 
And this was a constant theme in my life. And I remember not knowing what to do in this moment. And I remember that was the first time in my life I had had a nervous breakdown. We had spent four years of just living on people's couches, living inconsistent, inconsistently, living, you know, in hotels and stuff. And I remember just grabbing our bags, sitting on like the back room steps and just waiting for my mom. And I remember having to get up and constantly check to make sure that she saw me because I didn't have a phone, I didn't have access. And I remember that feeling right there in that moment where I said to myself, I will never ever in my life live like this again. I will never ever ever allow myself to feel the way that I feel right now. And I knew that in order for me to break this generational lineage off of my life, that I was going to come harder, steadfast, and be very, 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 very true to my boundaries when it came to my wants, my needs, and where I was headed in life. And one thing that I learned very early on is that you cannot help people who do not want to be helped. I had witnessed extreme narcissistic cycles of abuse I'm that narcissism is contagious. So whenever I think of my childhood, I think of myself being eyes. Like I just think of myself just having eyes. And I just remember being an, an observer of the world and watching all of these things happening. Yeah, I was experiencing it, but I remember watching it. And I remember going away to college and how that had changed my life. And it was the first time in my life that I realized, holy shit, I am so messed up in the head because I have spent so many years of my life focused on someone else's emotions but my own. And you have to ask yourself, are you prioritizing other people's emotions above yours? How are we gonna set boundaries? How are you gonna show up for yourself? Now, when I think about my mom and who she is as a person, you kinda have to find beauty in the sadness and beauty in the madness. Despite our family's problems and the things that we've experienced from them, we also have to accept the fact that there are a lot of similarities. My mother is a beautiful creator. She's a beautiful artist, but I think when you don't have room to create and you are an artist, you tend to go mad. You tend to kind of completely lose your life. You know, you kind of lose your mind because you don't have that thing that keeps you grounded. And then when I think of myself and I think of my career and I think of the things that I do, the creative directing work, writing, artistry, all of those things, podcasting, I think of how my mother gave me the space to be who I wanted to be. Despite all of the the nuances that made it very difficult for her to to love me properly, but I learned that she was loving me the best way that she knew how. I wanna to talk to you about my awakening, the awakening that happened. I guess you I remember when all of my friends went away to college, I had to stay back. 
And I remember during the time that I stayed back, I ended up um, getting a job at Studio Movie Grill. You know, it wasn't glamorous. I was working 14 hour shifts. I went to my local community college to save up some money because that was realistic for me at the time. And I remember going to work every single day and I remember hearing people around me saying, well, I wanted to go to college too and I didn't I, I didn't do it. I, I, You know, you can keep saying you're gonna go to college, but you might not. You might just end up staying here and being here with me because I'm 30 now. I would hear that all the time. And I had to learn how to protect my mind from from them you know what I mean because people don't want to see you succeed and there is beauty in gatekeeping and there is beauty there there is extreme beauty in mysteriousness and people not knowing fully who you are and what you're capable of so I remember there being in that I remember just having this mindset where I would just completely brainwash myself almost delusionally saying I am above this I am better than this I am going to persevere I'm going to get through this shit no one's going to tell me what I can and cannot do and you have to be delusional you have to be so delusional when it comes to your goals and you have to do it unapologetically and you have to be ruthless with it, and you cannot feel bad about doing it and I remember I had applied to so many colleges I remember taking a trip to Columbia University wishful thinking I know and I maintained a 4.0 GPA at my community college Collin College on spring was it Spring Creek that I can't even remember the location and I remember the first school that said yes to me was American University in Washington DC I attended a PWI at the time that had 90% white students and 3% BIPOC that means black, indigenous, person of color. That means all of us, only 3% of us. And I remember being at school and getting the opportunity to start one of the first black digital publications at my PWI, which would soon turn into this massive thing. We can go on and on about all the accomplishments that I did in college, but the things that really, really, really fulfilled me was the fact that I was able to see what I was able to achieve. And I remember being in school and feeling this immense amount of depression. And I remember I, would, I felt like a flower wall. You know, like I said, I was eyes, I was, a, I was an observer. So I had spent a lot of time in my room just so sad so just depleted and I would have these random moments of happiness you know and that's why you never go for happiness you go for joy because joy is long term joy is withstanding joy is is what will get you through even some of the worst days of your life I remember just being at school and just winning and winning and winning. I remember getting the best internship. I remember going to the to the uh, Hillary Clinton convention, the Donald Trump convention. I remember working for NBC, the Washington Post. I remember doing all of these amazing things. I remember having the best internships and then boom. Boom. Suddenly, life had hit me again. I had ended up getting a full ride scholarship to my school after almost getting kicked out of it because I hadn't made any payments. It was the first time I told my story. I was winning at, the, at these internships, thriving at these internships, starting one of the first black publications at my PWI in Washington, DC. And then boom, I came home for Thanksgiving break 
in the car with some friends we're having a good time nothing weird's going on there's no drinking there's no smoking it's like 12 o'clock during the daytime we're on our way to go get some tacos we're you know we're all college friends college buddies you know i got my childhood friends we're we're all together now we done made we didn't have the come up story and then boom i'm in a full-fledged car accident everyone in the car is okay but me you know i hear my friend paul saying janelle get out the car get out the car get out the car i can't get out the car i can't even move because the feeling the the thing the joint that is connected to my hip no longer feels like it's there and i just remember wailing like i just remember wailing like a wolf like i just remember crying like hysterically like why god why 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 and i remember being rushed in the emergency room where they sent me home and said nothing's wrong with you i remember it was thanksgiving break and i need to go back to school i said mom i need you to drive me to the airport right now i need to go back to school i need to go back to school get to the airport missed the flight then missed another flight because guess what it's cold in dc right now there's flights being canceled the weather's bad and god was like you are about to sit your ass down for the next six months of your life and that's what happened came back home my mom's boyfriend at the time came over and said jay why are you walking like that what is going on with your leg why are you limping around like that like why are you I, like what's going on like why are you walking like this and i said to him high on codeine high on diazepam i'm getting better it's just a sprain because that's what they told me come to find out I had to go to another doctor because I wasn't healing up. Spent two weeks with a broken hip and had to get immediate surgery. I had a hip replacement at 20 years old. At 20. The thought of having children had never hit my mind until that moment. The thought of not being able to run across fields that I spent so much time doing in, in high school to survive. The thought of me you know, being a track star, volleyball player, cross country. How I learned to problem size and how I learned to cope was by physical work and to know that I would spend the next six months of my life learning to rewalk again. And wait, 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 get this, get this, get this. It would take me two years to regain full strength back. You know, I was so pissed at God. I said, God, are you serious right now? Are you really going to do this to me right now? Why? Why, why is this happening again? All these generational things that I'm breaking off of my life. I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not robbing anyone. I'm not, I'm not doing anything wrong with anyone. Well, why this, God? Why is this happening to me? And I remember just being in a complete blur. I remember feeling so broken and so sad. And like, you know, sometimes I think about it till this day and I just think, wow 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 so i said six months sorry sorry doctor sorry god six months ain't enough for me i spent the rest of that semester home 
I got a job at a daycare after three months post breaking my hip. I worked with 18 two-year-olds at Presbyterian School in Frisco. And I remember just working my ass off and coming home and helping out. And I remember having very deep, intimate conversations with my my youngest sister saying, you're gonna get out of this, you're gonna be okay, you're gonna be fine. I had escaped this very toxic environment and had to return back. And it's like, what happens when you have to return? What happens when we have to go back to what we freed ourselves from? So I said, you know what? I've been lower than this. I've been lower than this and I'm gonna persevere through this. And I think when you grow up in absolute poverty and you grow up not having anything, you already know what it's like to be poor and you already know what it's like to go without. So at that rate, you really don't have anything to lose. There is beauty in being at the bottom because the only way to go is up. The only way to go is up. So we are aiming for the stars. That's what I said. That's what I said. I met a nice guy who I'm still with. He helped me through a lot of things. And I would spend a lot of nights at his house. And then I returned back to college. I graduated. I graduated American University with a 3.8 GPA. I did what I needed to do. I had a lot of hurdles that, that stopped me from moving forward. I had a lot of things get in the way of me, getting away of God's timing. But I think sometimes we anticipate life to be this straight up thing and it's not that. And what you have to do and what is so important for you to do is to build yourself up mentally. After I graduated from college, I returned back to Texas where I sunk into the dampest, deepest depression. You know, you have college post-grad depression that knows one talks about. You know, you have people around you that come from generational wealth and they're already lined up. And then you have people like us, people like you and me, people like you who don't have the leeway or the leverages that other people have. We work so hard to achieve these things and then what does it look like when we stop achieving? I had spent so many years of my life operating from survival mode and not from a place of love. I had ran away to college because I wanted to survive. I had hurried up and got over breaking my hip because I wanted to survive. When all that did was slow me down even more. I made it to school, yes, of course, but during that process, it was hard. I had so many things that were making me survive because I was in a survival place. So when I came back home after graduation, I had to learn how to operate from a place of love and to be loved full-heartedly. And that would have to come for me, not from my partner, not from any codependency, but for me. Breaking free from generational barriers, you are going to hit a lot of spiritual warfare, a lot of it, and we don't talk about it enough. One of my close friends, Talia, made the most impactful comment to me recently. And she said to me, if you don't bump into the devil while you're trying to grow, then that means you and the devil are on the same path. 
I'm not trying to get spiritual or religious on you or anything like that, but that really rang with me. That really sunk so deep with me. You have to know that if you are trying to achieve whatever it is you're trying to achieve and you're trying to break off these barriers that you are going to cross paths with some very dark shit. And if you are mentally strong and mentally capable of doing it, you can. I put myself in therapy. I got to learn a lot about myself. I read a lot, a lot of books. I read 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do by Amy Mormon. I read um, How to Heal the Daughters of Narcissistic Mothers from Carol McBride. Hell, I even wrote my own book to all the people I love before loving me. I was gonna take every bad thing that had ever happened to me and I was going to heal every single area of it and you have to be open to healing every aspect of it because it will be ugly and it will be scary. And we can say the cliche term of like, just get through it, just get through it. But no, seriously, get through it. I think people fail to realize and are afraid to know what they are fully, fully capable of. And you are capable of so much more than what you believe and what you think that you currently are right now. There's beauty in the struggle. There's beauty in you. And there's also beauty in isolation. So spend a lot of time getting to know who you are without the lens of someone else. Generational barriers suck. But if you're listening to this right now and you're here listening to these episodes, it's because you're fucking breaking free from it right now. You're already doing the work. So congrats to you for persevering and for figuring it out. This life I live, being a bestseller, having a podcast, people actually care about what I have to say having almost 70,000 downloads in the first six months of me doing it. It all came from me being rooted in the belief that I am capable and I am worthy of so much more. Using social media as a way of freedom of expression. And I think when we go through all of these nuances and all of these things in life, like I don't know what your story is, whether you're dealing with depression, whether you're dealing with sadness, whether you're dealing with all these things, I want you to take everything that feels so bad and I want you to put flowers around it. I want you to sit down and have a very deep and real and intimate conversation with yourself. Make all of those shortcomings into beauty because I don't think we just go through things for no reason. I don't think we just go through things to forget about it and to get over it. I think we go through things so we can be better people. One thing in particular that really truly helped me heal myself was learning to love my inner child. Inner child healing helped me so much. What I started to do was I would take a picture of myself and I would put it on my screensaver on my phone. A young picture. There's a picture of me when I'm 12 years old. I'm like, you know, very cheeky with my hair braided back. My shoulders are lifted up. I'm wearing like my favorite animated shirt. And I look at that picture every single day as an adult and I'm like, how am I going to show up for her? How am I going to show up for little Janelle? This girl right now, or this young boy right now, this trans person right now, this person right now needs me. So what can I do for he, she, they, or whatever your pronouns may be, what can I do for you today? Inner child healing is the best thing that you can do for breaking off generational bondages. Because when we look back and we think about all the things that hurt us, are we adults hurting right now? Or is it that child that has to grow up too fast? Or is it that child that was overlooked? And a lot of times when we look around at the world around us, 
It is our inner child that need deep healing. Thank you so much for your time. My name is Janelle Roberts, and this is Breaking Free from J.